Welcome to Earhopper Presents Let's Talk About. And today I am in the studio with my good friend Ariel. Hey. And we're going to, today's topic is an interesting topic. It's home. Oh, man. Home. And uh, we're drinking black box red wine, which is in a cardboard box. And you can buy it at all the finer Safeways in San Francisco. So, speaking of home, Tell me, like, your origin story. Like, where did you grow up? I mean, I know a lot of this, but, like, like knowing you now, like, how did it, like, get you where you are today? And... <laughs> tell, tell us about yourself. Oh, God, where do I begin? Uh, so I am born and raised San Antonio, Texas. Uh, but basically, I uh, got out of there the second that I could. So, like, graduated high school and then... Um, Went to Syracuse for college, and when I decided that, my parents were like, could you have chosen anywhere farther away from us <laughs> to go to school? And, like, the diametric opposite weather-wise Right, well. right. Um, so I, I think technically only, like, University of Alaska would have qualified <laughs> for that, but uh, that was basically what I wanted, was, like, had to be at least a five-hour drive from where I grew up, sure. um, and just wanted basically the opposite. Um, and then... I spent basically the rest of the time just like bouncing around, mostly East Coast. Yeah. Uh, so Syracuse, DC, New York City, Pittsburgh. Here. Yeah. Um, I feel like I probably left out some places. It's just been kind of uh, nomadic wandering for me for a while. When you, so when you were in San Antonio, were you in like the same house all the years that you grew up? Did you move around at all in that um, small area? It was the same house uh, when I was you know, like K through 12. Mm -hmm. But when I went away to school, my parents chose to, <clears throat> um, when I went away to school, my parents chose to move to a new neighborhood. Mm -hmm. And so college house in San Antonio, um, well, post-college too, because I moved back after school, um, was all a different house. Mm -hmm. um, but now my mom is even back in the house that I grew up in. So no it's way. come it's come full circle, yeah. Wow. That's yeah. Did did both your parents grow up in Texas? Um no, actually my mom grew up in New Orleans and my dad uh was a an Air Force family member, I Got think. It. So like born born in Illinois, moved all over. Sure. Yeah, my dad was a military guy and when he got out of school, he my my father was big on like finding the next great job. So we we always stayed like New Jersey, Pennsylvania, but we lived in so many different houses. Like I lived in like four four different residences probably. Only two were houses, the other two were like like a couple months while my parents looked for a house. But like consciously, like like when I was little, we were in New Jersey. So like the idea of home to me was like it didn't I never felt like this weird attachment to like the physical place, if that makes sense. Definitely. Um, so I think besides hating where I grew up, right. I felt like such a misfit. Um, I also had a dad who was a hoarder. And so there was just this like physical repulsion that came with coming home oh, after school. That's and so, fascinating. Yeah. Was uh, it like the basement was full of stuff? Like, like when you say he was a hoarder, like how did that manifest? Just 
everything, like the whole house. Basically, my room was the only place where his stuff didn't creep into. Uh, so, like, never had friends over, never had sleepovers, never had, like, dinner parties and yeah. things like that. It was just the whole house was just boxes of, it, boxes of his stuff. Um, and it sometimes would be hobby-related, and sometimes it would just be, like, well, you might need this someday, so we're going to sure. hold on to it. Sure. And so, like, couldn't park the cars in the garage, that whole thing. Wow. And I've talked to a lot of people that before we thought about hoarders, because now it's like, hoarders, there's a TV show. There's a lot of people I grew up with that, thinking back, like, we would go to their house and it would be very, very similar. There'd just be stuff everywhere. And sometimes it was organized. Most of the time it wasn't. And you had no idea why. And neither did the kids. You just kind of walk around it and not think about it. Yeah. And it's fascinating to me, like, from what I've read and watching those shows, it's fascinating to me how much of there's this huge emotional sort of a like component to it, um, which totally relates to the idea of home and the idea of like your stuff. Um, which do you think that like you kind of it sounds kind of like you used the word repulsed, I think, or there was another word yeah. used. It, do you think it kind of like turned you the opposite where you were like, I don't want to be where there's a lot of stuff? Like, how did it man? How did it affect you? Like, looking back into, like, the life you have now. Um, like, do you have a lot of stuff at your house? No. I, I, just, so, <laughs> like, I feel like you might be a minimalist on some level. Definitely. But yeah. that, that's a more recent development. So uh, when I was actually living in my parents' house, it actually took um, a very different turn. I was um, kind of a nester. Like, I wanted, I was super into interior design, wanted to decorate everything, wanted it to be beautiful and awesome. perfect. Um, and so I think it was more of a reaction of wanting that to be the opposite instead of focusing on the stuff itself. Mm. Um, I don't know when I was younger if I necessarily thought of hoarding as being about the stuff. It was, it felt more about, um, all the things that you couldn't do or wouldn't see because mm. of the stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and then only, only about the time when I, went off to grad school for the first time was I like finding that I was really unhappy and started searching for ways to kind of alleviate that and stumbled upon minimalism. And so I've uh, more or less followed that lifestyle. Like I I definitely have my things that I collect. Um, Right now it's makeup. It used to be scarves. Like I I have my thing always, but um, basically in all the places that I moved, I only took two suitcases with me. Nice. And so uh, there's still kind of that remnant of that, you yeah. know, like really, really getting the utility out of the two suitcases and then um, kind of nesting a little bit from there. Because, I, I mean, you're a designer. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you, work, you work as a designer. Do you think that there was some feeling of trying to make order out of chaos to that time period? Like when you said you were like thinking about interior design and were you trying to figure out how to maybe control things in a certain way? Oh yeah, it was definitely a control thing. Um, But I think it also came from other places too. Uh, I actually wanted to be an architect when I was a little kid. Uh, I think I know this about you. Yeah. I love. So I meet so many software designers that are into architecture. Yeah. Uh, It's a thing that I felt like uh, was weird up until maybe a couple of years ago when I started meeting more people who were like me. But at the time, I think I was probably like three and I was just walking around and I had a little like notepad with grid paper and would be cutting furniture out of furniture catalogs and placing them in the houses. And 
Um, I remember going to see Falling Water as a kid and just yeah. being so enamored and being super excited about that. But my family wasn't into it. Mm-hmm. They they thought that either I just wasn't going to like it or be good at it because of the math and science part of it, mm. uh, which I didn't even realize how messed up that was until very recently. Wow. Like how uh, messed up that that was an assumption or how yeah. messed up? Okay, got it. Um, yeah. Especially because... Uh, this is probably a thing you don't even know about me. I used to compete in academic uh, competitions when I was in middle school and high school. Awesome. I actually went to state when I was in middle school for a science competition. Nice. Uh, and that was for Texas. <laughs> so uh, thank you. Uh, I don't know what that says about being a finalist in Texas for a science competition. That's yeah. either like, wow, there are a lot of people or like, oh, it's Texas. Like well, maybe that many people don't care about <laughs> science. I, I mean – I don't I, I can't shit on Texas. I like Texas. I think like it is it's massive and there's a ton of different ideas and lifestyles there. But if I think about science, like I think about agriculture and I think about oil and like science fits into all that. I maybe don't know that Texans think about it that way. Maybe. I mean, God, you know way better than I do. I'm not certainly I don't know. It's just I don't know. Yeah. I mean, I think about, you know, I think about the idea of you being a girl. Yeah. And the math and science thing. Like, that's what, that's what I took when you said, you know, I only really, really realized it recently. Yeah, I think that's part of it. Um, I don't think they meant it that way. Sure. I think it was just that I had an uncle who had gone to architecture school and didn't do well, and they just assumed that I would also not do well. Yeah. Um, but it was also just a, a notion that anything related to, like, creative arts or design just wasn't going to make money, mm. or you were going to have to work an entire lifetime to be able to be able to point to something and say, I did that. Right. And so I think there was uh, trying to shelter me from that aspect as well. So not all bad. Yeah. And, you know, not not being a parent, except to a puppy or two, <laughs> it's hard to know like how that would manifest itself. But I think going back to um, the idea of the, like, there's a lot of assumptions that I think get made. And sometimes there, I always attribute that to either the limitations of the people making the assumptions on themselves or the idea of culturally at the time there was no, like right now it's like we hit this tipping point where it's like your daughter will, could be the president of the United States. Like that's a fairly recent thing to say to a girl. Right. Right. To say to a daughter. Right. So you think about like the time you grew up, the time I grew up, cause I'm a little older than you. That wasn't like my parents were very similar because I was a musician and I was an actor and I was an artist and it was constantly like, well, you know, that's fun for you, but you have to come up with something that someone will pay you to do. Definitely. And that's like a, that's a tricky thing. That's a slippery kind of slope, which is, that's why it's interesting you're into architecture because, I mean, architects can make a lot of money. It's true, yeah. Uh, But it's still that aspect of you're generally going to be an old white dude by the time that you make money. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah, I can't even think of a female architect, and that's maybe my ignorance. I think it's more of a publicity thing about architecture that, um, I mean, I can't think of any females off the top of my head, which says a lot, too. Uh, But I do know that there are, uh, I think in the past year, there was a really famous female architect who passed away, and I think Google did a doodle about her, but... um, Still, can't can't name her versus all the other male architects that we know about. Right. architect. <laughs> yeah, definitely. I, I remember and the I first know. time I heard that word, and I was like, I guess that's just an architect who's, that people actually know. 
I think it's the the original like coding ninja or something. Maybe I don't know if it was. Uh, I don't know if it's about the fame per se, it. but it's supposed to be about the skill set. Oh, maybe I don't know. Interesting. Um, but that's also a totally weird yeah. way to to phrase it. It's dark attack. It's like I kind of look at that whole thing the way I look at like celebrity chefs. <laughs> like, I, like it just because you can make a name for yourself doesn't necessarily mean you're like amazing. Right. Right. It just means that you're good at like marketing yourself. Yeah. Or uh, doing the really absurd. Like, I'm sure there are a ton of people who still think that Frank Gehry is a really horrible architect because right. he makes stuff that people don't know how to build. Right. Yeah, it's funny. I was at Facebook, and he came to talk about the new building that he built for Facebook. And what a character. Like, just amazing to be in the room with him. And, like, you could tell the entire thing. He was just like, whatever. Okay, I'll give you 30 <laughs> minutes. Let you ask my question. Let You know, ask your questions. And it was just such a, like... It was such a clash of, like, this old school kind of way of doing things, which is, like, to think it out and, like, come up with process versus the Facebook way, which was, like, you know, ship it, and if it's broken, we'll fix it. And you can't really do that with a building. Right. Right? But I do think that there's something about the way that software development does things that architecture is still learning from. Mm. Um, I remember I went to a design conference a couple of years ago and ended up meeting a, an architect from an architecture firm in Vancouver that I really love. And he told me that the, so I actually asked him, like, what is the most surprising or interesting thing about being an architect that normal people would, wouldn't know about? Mm -hmm. And he said, um, you know, even after the project goes through all these different stages, that architects still learn things about their building and the way that they design things based on people using it. Mm. And so he says he'll go into a building after it's been unveiled and people are actually using it and noticing people use it in really interesting ways that he had never thought of. Sure. And it's, um, yeah. I don't know, it just sounds like a software development uh, totally. parallel. I, absolutely. Yeah, I like that idea that like, you know, like I think about like Instagram, you know, where it's like it was whatever it was, it was supposed to be like a location service or it was some weird thing. And then all of a sudden it became all about pictures. But yeah. That wasn't what they started out to do, but that's the way people were using it. Yeah. Um, yeah, I totally can see that parallel. I think it's funny. We we were on a trip somewhere. I forget where now. Oh, we were coming back from, uh, we did a Northwest trip. We, we drove the whole way up and came back down. Amazing. Yeah, it was great. I mean, if you haven't done it, do it. It's like awesome. And I mean, Southern Oregon, Northern California, it's just like beautiful. But we listened to this uh, podcast. Who knows? I can't. I wish I could say which one it was right now. Of course I can't. Um, and it was about uh, it was about the original house. I think it was. Was it Frank? Frank Gehry? I don't know. It was like this house that became famous that everyone built in the 50s and 60s and the utilitarianism of it. It was like super simple. I'm totally screwing this up right now. But it was like the idea that this person came to this famous architect and was like, you know, we only have X amount of money. And he was like, I can do this. I can make, I think it was like $10,000. And it became this huge like phenomenon. God, I can't believe I'm not thinking of this. Whoever's listening to this is going to be like, duh. But it was like the famous like A-frame or the famous like whatever. I think it was Frank Lloyd Wright maybe. I don't know. Um, but it's it's all about that idea that like if you have these limitations, you sometimes can come up with something that's like amazing. And in the idea of like home building, like at that time it was there were a lot of poor people that wanted to own a home. Yeah. You know. 
So I don't know where I was going with that. <laughs> That's okay. <laughs> um, it actually made me think of a thing from San Antonio, which I guess my parents are just troves of weird random facts. But um, I remember them teaching me that one of San Antonio's claims to fame was um, tilt-up housing. Tilt up? Yes. Okay, I don't, so, um, I don't know what that is. When you build a house, you oftentimes will take the individual pieces of wood and nail them together to make the frame once you're on site. Okay. But the idea of tilt up housing is that you actually build the framing for the house off site and then bring it onto the site and then just literally take posts oh, and it. Tilt, tilt it, it up, up to make the frame. Got it. And that, I mean, that kind of fits into this whole like tiny home Definitely. movement. Where people are selling homes and they're like, now you figure out, like, you buy this and then you just take it wherever you can find land and you can plop it down. But it's not a mobile home. Right. Right? I think it's a total natural evolution of that. Yeah. Uh, just anything that's, like, prefabricated and modular. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's funny, too, to think about, like, you know, going back to the topic. Like, I never, I'm thinking about all the houses I grew up in. And I never once felt a connection because of the style of the house. Or the architecture or the yard. Like, I think of all these things, when I think of home, I think of, like, my mom and dad were there, and where the Christmas tree was, and where we had dinner, and, like, where all the emotional kind of stuff happened. Yeah. And I think where I'm going with this is, like, I like I know some people that grew up, and still their family home is the home that, like from the time they were born to now, that is the house. And when the when the parents, usually it's the parents, decide to, like, retire or move, they are just, they're broken up. It's like, but this is the whole, this is where we grew up. There's all these things. And and to me, it's like, they're just things. And I, I don't know, like, I'm thinking about, like, you know, you, you decided to go to Syracuse. And then did you have this feeling while you were there? Like, when you missed home, did you miss, like, the physical place? Definitely not. Right. Um... My mom, who was not much of a care package kind of mom, did send me one, and it had Texas-shaped tortilla chips, um, <laughs> big red, the ingredients for queso, and the ingredients for, uh, like, bean and cheese tacos, essentially. Those are the things that I missed. It That's was actually home. mostly mostly food stuff. Yeah. Uh, and then I think, like, some pictures of her and the family. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah, so it's like, here's your home. It's right here. Definitely. This box. And I think, like, there's something about that that feels like, okay, hear me out. The whole idea of, like, post-World War II, you have to buy a house. You have to buy stuff to put in that house. You have to have, you know, 2.4 children or whatever, the median. You know what I mean? Yeah. You have to have a garage. Like, all of these things, I don't feel like they really exist anymore. Like, I don't feel like the people I know right now that I work with, none of them are talking about buying a house. Really? Like, some of the, yeah, some of them are getting married, but none of them are like, and we're saving up to buy that dream home. Like I don't get that feeling. Is it just because San Francisco is so expensive? It's possible. That's that might be part of it. Because I think, similarly, I only know one person who has actually bought a house in the Bay Area. Um, I know a friend of mine bought a house recently, a couple of hours north of here. Mm -hmm. It's stupid cheap compared to prices here yeah and they're gonna make it their own um otherwise the person lives in san mateo and had very strict definitions about what they needed to have in the house right and i was actually uh considering buying a house with my boyfriend in san francisco for a long time yeah 
Um, and we looked at a lot of houses, uh, houses in San Francisco, <laughs> air quotes. Boxes. Uh, yeah, basically a lot of different apartments yeah. varying from 700 square feet to maybe 1,700 if you're lucky. Yeah. Um, and nothing really stuck. I think we found a couple of places. Maybe we're just picky because we're designers. Well, you should uh, be. But, but the whole point of a house is basically you're just buying the shell. You can yeah. make it whatever you want on the inside. Yeah. But there, there was maybe like one location that really stood out to us and mm-hmm. said – you know, if this is the place that we want to make our home in San Francisco, this is the neighborhood, this is the kind of neighbors we would want to have, this mm-hmm. is the kind of life we would have day to day, not just optimizing for the weekend. But even then, just still couldn't pull the trigger and make an offer, even though we had done all the paperwork. Wow. Interesting. Uh, yeah. It's, um, you know, there's like these Spanish villages you can buy for like, $20,000 right now like mayors in Italy I think like all yeah. these European places because the economy has fallen out so hard and I like like I'll say to my like close friends that are you know in the same like you know my 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 close strata of friends I'll be like what if like all six of our families like packed up and and went to Spain and bought a whole village for 20000 and as much as like there's like that moment of that's a great idea, then we're all just like, well, it, yeah, but it's it's in Spain and it's you know it's but it's like why not? Like right. why why aren't we considering that kind of stuff? It's I mean coming from Texas, like I, like we were talking about Austin before we hit record, like a, a few not even that long ago, you could still go to Austin and kind of start over and like take your money and buy a home and have a yard and like there's a community there yeah but it's like it's getting harder and harder because it's becoming the san francisco of the south right yeah and portland's kind of the same way i feel like portland and austin are kind of neck and neck for for like people that are taking their money from a bigger economy aka here i mean even when i was uh getting ready to leave san antonio i remember hearing um, during the house hunt with my parents that a lot of times they would miss out on places because people would be moving from California and would pay all cash. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, in the neighborhood, I'm in the inner Richmond, and, uh, you know, my girlfriend, uh, they've lived in that house for a long time, their family, and they, like, constantly people are like, yeah, all these foreign money comes in, and they make these huge, they have saved up so much money, they just make these cash payments and they, they outbid everyone that's like local and has a mortgage like a prequal you know oh yeah. you're gonna pay cash and you're gonna give us an extra like 20 or 30 grand on top of like the asking price okay which is kind of insane yeah but that's like that's exactly what's happening with people leaving san francisco in the same it's kind of like that um it's like the law of i don't know you just like leveling or something i don't even know what that I don't, right <laughs> like, you know. but then you say that we're gonna go buy that village in spain and now right. we're the people paying more than 20 grand for a village yeah i mean it, but that's like that that's kind of like it gets down to like okay so what's important to you is it does it come down to you want something that your parents had but a little better right or does it come down to like like for me i, I go back and forth about whether i want to like be tied down to one place because I love traveling. Yeah. And I love, like, you've lived in a bunch of different places. I've lived in a bunch of different places. I love that idea. But it's not like you can do both unless yeah. you have, like, you know. Right. I I find that I always want uh, things that are just mutually exclusive. And so Interesting. Uh, I think it'll be a challenge to figure out how to 
achieve both maybe 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 you can't have both maybe the point is that you go in on this village in spain for 20 grand yeah. and then you have enough savings left over to travel and do all the things i think maybe it's just figuring out what the absolute bare necessities are and then once you have everything else stripped away that's where you find the opportunity to do the thing that seems like you can't be uh, being able to do that same thing too. When you think about like, like you said, your mom just moved in back into the house. Like, is that good? Like, is that a good thing? Like, do you like being able to go back to this place? Like emotionally, like, is it like, Oh, I can go back to the house that I grew up in. This is try I'm trying to get to the point of like, does it matter? No, like, not I don't really. Care. Like my parents live in a house that I've never lived in now. And I'm just like, I have no, I have emotional attachment to them and some of the stuff, but it's not like it doesn't matter where they are. Yeah. You know? Um, I don't know where I'm going with this. Well, I think it's, it's nice for me because I think when I was on my way to college, my mom would actually tell me, we're going to move and we're not going to tell you where we're going. We're just going to send you <laughs> postcards from random places and throw you off the scent. Um, and so just being able to know where they were was yeah. an improvement based right. on uh, what I had been forewarned about. Is that a good game or a bad game? Um, I don't know. I'm a 90s kid who really loved, like, where in the world is Carmen Sandiego. <laughs> but um, it sounds like a game I would love to play now, being right. the person traveling. But I don't know if I would want to, like, inflict that upon the people that I care right. about. Right. Uh, but so having having that as a touch point is really nice. But... It really is about the people. Yeah. And so even when I find myself trying to plan for holidays where uh, the question is always, do I go see my boyfriend's family for Thanksgiving and Christmas? Right. Like they would do anything to have him come back home. Uh, whereas my family maybe feels less like that. Yeah. But just the idea of like not going back to that place and not seeing those people, mm -hmm. it, it resonates with me in such a different way than I even expected that it would. And so it's not about the house. The house doesn't look anything like what I remember um, because it's been fully renovated. And, you know, like my dad passed away. And so it's like half of home is mm -hmm. left. Mm -hmm. um, still the idea of like not seeing my aunts and uncles and my grandmother, like even just seeing my mom. Um, I, it almost feels like a not a competition, but mm. there's something that feels wrong to say about like no that's okay i'll just skip going home right right uh and so it's not like we're trying to like see whose family loves us the most or right. whatever but it's still um i don't want to sacrifice that piece of me just to go yeah. along with whatever my boyfriend's family is doing i still want to hold on to that yeah no totally i think that makes a lot of sense i think i i think there's a a feeling when you think about home there's a feeling and that feeling you can find in a lot of a lot of different places in your life. And maybe it is the result of the fact that my family moved and I moved around a lot that I just don't and and also maybe it's just like my needs right now. Like I don't feel that urge to like say this is like the place where I'm going to lay my head and all my stuff is here. Like it's never for me personally, it's never been a big deal like where I am. Yeah. You know, I, I, like and I and and maybe some of that is like inherited because my my family never put a lot of they never put a lot of stock into the fact that like this is like this thing that is ours and like it was a little more functional than that. 
So I guess it, it just kind of depends on like what what your desires are when it comes to like, I don't know, all this energy you're expelling and where it ends up. Like you looked at places in San Francisco and you were like you I mean, my question, which I didn't ask you, which I totally forgot, is well, why didn't you pull the trigger on it? Like what was the thing that you decided not to give it a shot? Um so the ultimate realization was that San Francisco is not that place. Mm. Um, and it's not that there's anything wrong with San Francisco. I love it a lot. But when I think about where I want to come back to after a long vacation, mm. when I'm just ready to be home and in my own bed, um, my bed is the place that matters, not coming right. back to San Francisco. Right. And that's uh, it's kind of a rare feeling for me, but it's a feeling that I've experienced at least once and I want to replicate. Mm -hmm. And just not being able to say that about San Francisco meant that I just couldn't pull the trigger. Yeah. And I think uh, I was feeling that very acutely because around the time that we saw that house where we were really thinking about it, um, he and I went to New York City, which is a place where both of us have spent considerable time. Um, you know, I think he had lived there for like 13 years. Mm -hmm. um, and seeing a bunch of old friends, like people I'd gone to college with, people I've really like come of age with and, and talking about stuff and going to all my old hangouts. That felt more like the place that I wanted to go, like hang my hat at the rest of the, at the end of a long day yeah. than San Francisco has ever felt. And so ultimately, I don't know if like New York is going to be the place, but it's certainly something a lot closer to the way that New York feels versus San Francisco. Interesting. So it actually came down to where it was. It, wasn't, <laughs> it didn't feel like home. But it wasn't necessarily the city. Right. Um, I think there are a lot of things to dislike about New York City. It's sure. still dirty. It's still expensive. It's still busy, and people don't have great work-life balance. There are lots of reasons to not like New York City. Right. With that being said, I still love it, like more than more than most of the places that I've lived, except for maybe Pittsburgh. Uh, but there's something about having all the people there, and and it's simultaneously being a nostalgic experience, but also still very much like an active feeling of belonging. Mm. And I think I could still feel that belonging, even if the people changed. It's so well put. That is New York City in a nutshell. It's like instant nostalgia and instant present happening. It's still, and also future looking. Like that is the one thing about New York City that I always felt. I lived there for 11 years. And even when I go back now, it just feels comfortable. Because it's, it's like it, it changes considerably, like month to month. Definitely. People change. The the, like roads change, you know, the, 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 the scenery, the geography, the, the uh, architecture, like the skyline, everything changes constantly, but there's something really familiar about it. And I don't, I don't get that feeling here either. I like it here. Like I enjoy it here. I, I can see myself staying here, but that, that idea of like this instant, like almost like a sigh. Yeah. Like you, like as soon as like the cab, like wherever, whichever airport you land into is like getting into like Manhattan you're like, oh yeah. I know what I'm going to get. I know I know what's here. Can we take a break for a second? Yeah. Because I'm going to look up what I was talking about earlier because I really, really, I really want to get that as a fact. <laughs> okay. And we yeah. can uh, drink a little more wine. Perfect. Okay, we're back. And I looked up during the break what I was talking about earlier because I felt like a tool. It's the 99% Invisible podcast, and the article, the podcast, it's episode 247, Usonia the Beautiful. And Usonia was this idea that, like, 
Frank Lloyd Wright had of building all these like super affordable. It looks like I'm just kind of like going through it. They were only $5,000 in 1937. And it was the idea of these houses where um, the, I'll, I'll just like paraphrase what's in here, what I recall, which again, I might screw up, but the houses were nondescript on the front and it was built towards the back of the, like everything was like pushing towards the backyard because there was so much, it was like not a lot of space. So that was the idea. Usonia was, it was for like middle-class people to buy this like little house. I think there were like 1200 square feet with like two bedrooms, but it's a super great podcast. You should check it out. Definitely will. <laughs> anyway, Frank Lloyd Wright, we were just talking about during the break. And, um, I grew up outside of Pittsburgh and lived in Pittsburgh for a little while. And I know Ariel had, how many years were you in Pittsburgh? Like two or three? Two, yeah. But you kind of love Pittsburgh. I do. Like love we Pittsburgh. met in Pittsburgh and we always talk about Pittsburgh. What is it about Pittsburgh that in your short time there you like kind of fell for? Uh, so I'll preface this by saying that my mom had done a lot of propaganda growing up about how wonderful Pittsburgh was. So I went to Pittsburgh when I was a little kid, I thought it was super cool. Um, was forced to watch Flashdance a lot <laughs> growing up. Filmed in the South Side. Yeah. Of it. yeah. Um, so I had gotten all these stories about how wonderful Pittsburgh was and how my mom always wished that she could live there and was raised to be a Steelers fan. I was just so like predisposed to become a Pittsburgh this lover. Is amazing. Um, but I actually didn't love Pittsburgh at first. Sure. Um, when I was deciding whether or not to even go to school there, I remember uh, driving through the tunnel, like over the bridge into the city, mm -hmm. and I literally cry thinking, this place looks magical and it's so beautiful. And then I just got into it and just hated it. I felt like I didn't <laughs> belong at all. Um, but I started, I started uh, an internship there. I started school. I just kind of wandered and explored sure. uh, because I'm a very restless individual and ended up getting to know the city pretty well. And where did uh, you live while you were there? I think you've told me before. But... I lived in North Oakland. Okay. Um, so I actually used to walk to Carnegie Mellon mm -hmm. every day. Um, I'm a big walker. That's mm -hmm. like how I really get to get a feel of the city. Yeah. Um, and so I just walked a lot. I drove a lot. I went to a lot of like shows. I just kind of, I don't know. I just dug in. Yeah, really did. And I, w I was there. Um, the summer before I started school. So that gave me three months of not knowing anybody, mm -hmm. not knowing anything about the city, and just kind of starting to pick up on things about Pittsburgh that I wouldn't have gotten from, like, the propaganda from school. Yeah. So a lot of it is just, like, the food, the people being really real. Mm -hmm. um, it's really scenic and beautiful. Every neighborhood has its own vibe. It has, mm -hmm. like, neighbors are such a big deal in Pittsburgh. Yeah. Um, you actually have like block parties and stuff and people know each other. That's yeah. such a small tiny vibe for a city that's not that small. Yeah. Um, I actually wasn't that into sports, but even still just seeing everybody in their like black and gold on sports days. You get is caught up great. in it. Yeah. Same, same. And I grew yeah. up there and I was like anti. I'm like, cause you know, my dad was a sports guy and I'm like, Western Pennsylvania football. And I was like, I'm like, fuck that. I'm a musician. I want to be a punk rocker, you know, screw sports. But then of course, like. It's Steelers. It's the Steelers, and yeah. it's 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 um, it's that idea of like it's it's a manufacturing town. I kind of love that. Yeah, the uh, maker vibe is still there. It is. They they still have uh, they still have a bunch of the old 
factory type buildings that they repurpose into stuff. Mm-hmm. And sometimes they're even like maker spaces for yeah. people who are doing more like technical stuff. Um, I don't know. I just also loved that there was still a little bit of the the weird kid vibe happening mm-hmm. to it. Sure. Um, so, I mean, even even trying to convince other people who've never been to Pittsburgh <laughs> about like how this even came to be was you have to come up with weird stuff to kind of rejuvenate yourself when yeah. you're uh, an old industrial town looking for new life. Yeah. Like the universities only get you so far. Yeah. And so Pittsburgh actually invested a lot into having like an after hours club scene and really supporting artists and stuff yeah. like that. And so it's it's led to this like really cool vibe having the city around art and and music and just having people be into creative stuff. Mm-hmm. And it's cheap enough that you can do it. Yeah. And so I met a lot of people who might have had very normal day jobs but did a lot of weird stuff at night, whether yeah. that was like starting a new business or being an artist or being a chef, things yeah. like that. It's you said the word though, it's cheap. And <laughs> the cheap is what it, it gives people the opportunity to try stuff without having to worry about it like a huge financial financial hit. Yeah, risk is a big part. Yeah, yeah, huge. It's funny, I because we met in Pittsburgh, and we went to the squirrel cage, and we hung out. And I remember, I, you must have been like in the prime of your Pittsburghness because you were so, you were emphatically pro-Pittsburgh. I still am, though. Yeah, yeah, no, totally, but you were still there. Yeah. And I remember you, I was even talking to you about, like, what are you going to do? And you're like, well, I might stay here. Like, there's opportunity. Like, And, you know, me growing up, and I grew up there, like, in the mid to late 90s, like, Everyone was like, you know, get the hell out as fast as you can. And I remember specifically there was this club in the strip called Metropole, which is before your time. And it was like it was Metropole and Rosebud. They were like two clubs that were connected. I think it's like Senior Frogs or something now. Who knows? It's like it was down at the far end of the strip closest to the city. It was like one of those big industrial buildings. And I had like I had the opportunity to hang out with the owner guy at the club one night and he was like this British or Australian dude and he had an accent and you know you're like 21, 22 you're like whoa this guy has an accent and he moved he moved to Pittsburgh to invest in it and and like started this club and he said to me if you he's like if you he's like if you love art and you love uh, music you need to stay people are like you need to stay in Pittsburgh and make it happen and I, you know, of course, I moved to New York City after that, and the club ended up closing, and the guy probably split town. Like it wasn't the right time for that. But there's this whole idea, and I, I see it happening in other cities. Like I talked to my friends from Detroit, and they're starting to happen there. I talked to people in like Cleveland and like all the old manufacturing cities. It's like this gold mine of ethic and physical, like the idea of physically making stuff, which yeah. here in Northern California, we don't really. It's all about virtual, making virtual shit, you know? <laughs> like, it's all tech and software. And, yeah. And but they, they still have that in Pittsburgh, though. Like, New Age Pittsburgh has Uber's self-driving car stuff, right. and it has Google. And, uh, I mean, we all know that they're there just because, like, Carnegie Mellon is right there. Right. But... Interesting, though, not to interrupt. Yeah. Uber, self-driving car, still something physical. Exactly. And Google Shopping. Oh, I didn't know it's it was based Google in shopping. Pittsburgh and that uh, whatever building they bought over on uh, East Liberty. Yeah. Um, also, Google Shopping, which is there is a physical output to both yeah. those things. Isn't that kind of fascinating? Like I just realized it right now. I was just like, oh, and yeah. like American Eagle Outfitter. And, yeah, like, I was there's say other that. things that are physical. Um, and there's there's something to that. Like, yeah. We need that. Uh, I will say the one asterisk on that one is Duolingo, which doesn't make anything physical. 
Remind me what Duolingo is. Uh, they teach foreign language. Oh, right. Right. Are they based in Pittsburgh? Yeah. Um, they're right there in East Liberty. I'm, I'm pretty sure. They used to be in like on Walnut Street in the heart of Shadyside. How interesting. Yeah. Was it like XCMU or XPIT people? or um, XCMU. Um, the dude, his name is, his last name is like Von something or Von other. Von Duolingo? <laughs> yeah, basically. <laughs> uh, Louis Von Ahn, I think is his name. Um, the dude who made CAPTCHA. Yeah. Uh, he's a professor and researcher at CMU and no uh, basically figured out that you can train people to translate web pages for Google, essentially. Uh, and so they learn languages while providing a service at the same time. How interesting. Yeah. I mean, language is like, I always said if I could have a superpower, I'd want to be like C3PO and be able to speak any language. Like, if you think about it, it's such a powerful thing to be able to communicate in multiple cultures. Yeah. Because we're all kind of saying the same dumb shit <laughs> using different like sounds out of our mouth. That's very interesting. I had no idea Duolingo was a, uh... are there any other tech companies based in Pittsburgh? Um, there's probably more. So, I feel like it's growing. Yeah, definitely growing. Because um, there's money. Like, they're giving money to tech companies to stay there now. Yeah. Like the city. Yeah. And there's also uh, VC funds that's, that specifically invest in old, like, Rust Belt city companies. Um, there's a incubator that does both regular non-hardware tech companies and also does makery startups that's based on the south side. Um I used to work for a company that I was an intern there. Um, they got acquired by Yelp, so success story there. And then there was also a company that I think is called Shoe Fitter. Uh, shoe Fitter? Yeah. So they would scan shoes and then. Oh, Shoe Fitter. Yeah. Oh, literally Shoe Fitter. Shoe Fitter. <laughs> they would literally scan shoes and then help you know what size shoe to buy when you're shopping online for shoes. They got acquired, I think, by like Amazon I was or something. Say, that's a pretty niche, niche. I miss or, the. I remember mean, the big metal things that you'd go into a shoe store and <laughs> put your stinky foot in like everybody else? Yes. <laughs> it looked like some weird. Mid- like torture device from the middle ages like it also always just looks old timey even when you had new ones you still kind of felt like you were shopping in the 1920s <laughs> that's true that's yeah. true um i would love to go back in time and buy a house in the north side of pittsburgh when they were like 10 15000 dollars especially right. looking at like that those neighborhoods now it's it's incredible east liberty i yeah. would even even like 3 years ago i would rewind buy a house for like 10 grand um, Polish Hill, yeah. like all all cool spots that are are yeah. definitely gentrifying. Um, I feel a little bit like guilty or weird about it, but I think in the gentrification thing, yeah, you know, gentrification is tough because like America is gentrification. Like we're founded on gentrification. It's about someone more powerful with more with bigger guns or more money coming in and taking it from taking things from. I mean, this whole country was founded that way and yeah. potentially the whole world, who knows? Like we can get into that argument forever, but the idea of um like I rem- like I remember, hey, Shani, like in 1996, I lived right off of Garfield in um in Garfield. And there was a corner where you just didn't go. You just didn't go. There were two nightclubs and every weekend someone pulled a gun and someone was going to the hospital or, or the morgue. And I remember getting that place. It was $185. It was a one bedroom a month. And the, the landlord said to me, listen, he goes, don't, he goes, when you leave the house, always go left. 
Isn't that crazy? Yeah. South Aiken. He's like, go left. Don't go right. Don't go up to that street. And that's such a normal spot now. Too. Now it's like there's like a like a hipster coffee shop there, and like I think Garfield Artworks is right there. Yeah. If it's that, if that's still there, even. But that whole area is now like. And that guy's probably sold his play, his house that he was running to me for $185 for, who knows, a million or something. Man, I mean, even even like $700 a month when I was renting there it was considered like a lot. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure it's even past that now. Yeah, yeah. I remember like when I moved to New York and my first place in New York, I had to pony up over $1,000 for my room. I was just like, what is this horse shit New York? And it was like in the middle of nowhere, Queens. I mean, it was hard, and it was so it was such a shock at that point, like the economic sticker shock of leaving a place like Pittsburgh, which was so livable, and even now is livable, but like people, you go there now, like I was just there in February, and they're all like, you know, the tech companies are coming in, and everything's more expensive now, you know, like they're all complaining about it, right? they're all crotchety, and I'm like, all you did was bitch about the fact that there was no, there was no industry here for 20 years, and now you're being handed one. You know, it's kind of fascinating. But I do feel like, I'm sorry, I'm talking a lot. I do feel like they're kind of amalgamating it. Like, it's kind of fitting in. Yeah, I like that. Yeah. It, it makes me feel less weird about the the kind of tech company influx happening. Yeah. Because there are definitely negative vibes in San Francisco. You know, like, you see, like, queers hate techies spray-painted yeah. on the sidewalk. And um, when you're a person who technically is a techie but clearly don't stand so, for whatever it is that they're angry against yeah. um which you know you can name 20 different reasons why queers might hate techies sure um it's hard to want to move back to a place that's about to experience the same thing mm-hmm. and feel like you're actively contributing to it mm-hmm. but it's still i would hope even moving back that people would recognize that like it's it's still a part of me and this is actually just a continuation of the old. And yeah. so if you have people who are moving there because they actually appreciate Pittsburgh for what it is, but mm-hmm. also what it could be and recognize like what it has been, yeah. then maybe it's not such a bad thing that things are getting more expensive because, you know, like fingers crossed, everybody's going to have jobs now where right. they, you know, are not having to shovel coal or right. do whatever now. Right. Yeah. Don't worry, it'll be clean coal. <laughs> oh, God, don't even get me started. <laughs> I think, you know, the difference is, I talk about, I mean, this is a huge, this comes up with East Coast people especially, like the people that are friends of mine that move from the East Coast to here, is California is still and always will be, it's it's the end of the line. You know, you can't go any farther in America. Then you're in the water. And it's always the gold rush. It's the gold rush. Like people come here and they're looking for like, they come here for money or they come here for opportunity. Whereas in a place like Pittsburgh, like there's people that are going to be there, whether you're there or not, they're not going to like, you know, like you could go back and they'll be like, oh, good to see you, you know, yeah. and then you'll be leaving. They'll be like, see you later. Like there is a there is a culture that exists, I think, more so in the Northeast area. That's just it's so and maybe it's just because it's the oldest part of the country. I mean, it's literally like, you know, the oldest part and this is the youngest. So maybe there's something to that where like like my girlfriend's family is like, we're four four or five generations. You know, they like brag about that. And I'm like, I have no idea how many generations I am growing up in Pennsylvania with all of the families that, you know, like I didn't even think about that. You know what I mean? So I think like when you talk about going back and like making Pittsburgh your home. 
like people are going to accept that because you're not going to go back and be like flaunting your cat. You're not going to go back and like make a cash offer on a house because that's not what you do there. Like yeah. that, that is an acceptable behavior there. And when it starts becoming acceptable behavior, there's enough people that have been there. They're going to be like, uh, uh-uh. uh, like that doesn't work. Like it's just not. It's not going to happen. Right. Do you know what I mean? Like yes. I can't see Pittsburgh. I can't see queers in Pittsburgh hating techies. I could be like, they'll be like, come on, like, yeah, you're weird, we're weird, we're all new, like, let's all get together and be queer and techie together. You know what I mean? So it's just, it's a weird thing here. Like, this is its own crazy culture. Maybe maybe all they needed was a parking chair. Right, right. They got to put a chair up. Yeah. And those of you who don't know, anyone that's listening, the three people that listen to this podcast, in Pittsburgh, when you leave your parking spot... You put a chair in it, and then everyone does, knows not to park there. Yeah. It's still like that. Yeah, definitely. Uh, but I think there's something so uh, magical. Is It's like so, such a mundane thing to call it magical. Yeah. But it's it's a tradition, Yep. like first and foremost. Um, but it's secondarily a thing that's based on like mutual respect. Yep. Like somebody... Somebody went and spent the time to, like, put that chair there, and people know not to, like, move the chair and disrespect them. And California doesn't have that. No. uh, Which is partly good, but also leads to some tension. Okay. Hear me out. It's kind of the—it's, again, you're dealing with a physical thing, and there's some sort of respect for that. Like, I'm thinking about randomly—do you remember a couple of years ago, like, the Dropbox soccer team— Vaguely, Do you remember yes. the story? Like the city put some new thing in where you could go online and reserve like a like a public soccer field. Yes, and it was I, I remember it was Dropbox because I knew these people. I knew people that were there, and they like reserved a soccer field, and they got there, and there were a bunch of local kids there, and of course they're like, you know, we went we went online and reserved this soccer field. And one of the kids was like, I don't know what you're talking about. Like, we play here every Thursday or whatever. Right. And it's it was such a, like, at the time, I think this was like 2011, 2012, it was such a metaphor for what was going on, where it's like, here's people that physically, like, they're physically there. They're always there. And why shouldn't they be? And why shouldn't it be their field? And this invisible hand comes up and says hold on online and of course you know someone filmed it and it went up and it was terrible PR for Dropbox and yada 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 but the, to think about the chair thing like I imagine someone moving a chair and like the outrage would be to the person that moved the chair absolutely that person I mean they'd be like booted out of the city <laughs> they're just dead to the community how right. dare they yeah yeah and I, I just I wonder how much of that is the idea of Pittsburgh was a city founded by making something that is, like, tangible and practical, like, steel. It was steel. And it's not—that doesn't exist here. Like, like everything that is seems to be created here is not—it's it's, it's this—it's vaporware or whatever. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Like, it's like—it's in the ether, you know? You know and, what's funny, though, is that this is, like, the exact opposite of everything that we talked about with home. Right. Right. Yes. And that's where I'm like, whoa. Like, I'm like, okay, so I don't even know. I just had a brain fart. <laughs> there's there's something about there being like a physical presence to remind us of these things. Right. But the physical thing doesn't have to be the house. 
we're at this weird place where we know that there has to be something physical about it. It's a part of the culture. Right. But that's not the most important thing. Right. Right. I mean, like, I got a new phone last week, and I remember getting new phones before, and it was like, oh, my phone and all the stuff on it. And all I did was plug it in, and it took the old phone and put it on the new phone. It was like nothing. There's some huge metaphor for home in what I'm talking about right now, <laughs> where it's just, it's kind of, you just, it's like a backpack or something, and it's not, I don't know. But I do, like, I think, like, I, when I think about, like, you know, when I do think about, like, the idea of a physical space, I still think about, like, a place like Pittsburgh or a place like Chicago or a place that's, like, I never think of here. It just doesn't resonate for me. And maybe it's because I'm not from here. I think it's just because it's a transient place in general. Maybe. I think there are very few people here who make it past the five-year or ten-year mark. Mm -hmm. And if you, even if you do, the place doesn't look like what it was five years ago right. or ten years ago. Right. Not that that's a bad thing, but it's hard to have a sense of place or a sense of belonging when the it's like the ground is basically moving underneath you. Mm. And you don't have your people. Right. You know, if all the people here are transplants from Ohio who are like, well, this is cool, but I'm going to go back to Cleveland now. Right. Uh, how, how are you supposed to form that sense of identity and belonging here? Right. And to the people that have been here a long time, what does that mean to them? Right. You know what I mean? Like The circles are very different. Yeah. The people who have, you know, spent most of their lives in the Castro and remember what it was like when, when San Francisco wasn't a welcoming place for gay people. Yeah. And to suddenly have not only gay people uh, be part of the identity of San Francisco, but to have that start to be, like, washed away by people with money who want the convenience of living in the Castro, mm -hmm. I'm sure I'm sure there are just, like, all kinds of issues with that. Yeah. I think anytime you have a, a group of something, again, this goes back to home, you have a group of something that gets disrupted in a way that is not, like why that group came together in the first place, you're going to have some sort of hostility or, or tension or friction. And it's, you know, we look at like what's happening right now with like, you know, God, like all the like racial shit that's going on in the United States. And you start seeing these, like, you know, people constantly want to point out like some sort of like physical patterns, like, well, it's only South or it's only this, but we're kind of all blended together at this point. Did you see the interactive map of, white supremacist hate groups that's online right now. No, I didn't see Someone it. made like a like a data viz thing and it has like there's like four or five different icons like KKK and Christian right or whatever like all these like and um and I was shocked at how many are in northern California. Like I just was like of course there won't be any and I zoomed in and there were like 15 of them. Right. You know? And you're like oh holy shit like this is kind of like it doesn't really come down to geographic anymore. And maybe that's part of what you know maybe that's part of what makes it like like us having these like yearnings to like, oh, I'm going to go to Pittsburgh and buy a house or right. <laughs> I'm going to go to Austin and buy land. Yeah. But anyway, this was lovely. Yeah. Um, well, I look forward to finding out where you're going to call home. Me too, man. <laughs> you're going to Pittsburgh. Two trips. Yes. Back to back. One two month. weekends. And um, yeah, I'm excited. Let me know if you look at property. Uh, I'll probably have already bought it because it'll be like 2000 bucks. So.